Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Welcome back to the playoffs. It's been six years since the Rays were in the postseason, and they are back tonight's wild card game at Oakland against the A's. It will be Charlie Morton for the Rays against Sean Manaya, the left-hander for the A's. But all hands will be on deck, including Tyler Glass now, and who knows, maybe even Blake Snell in an elimination game. The winner gets the Houston Astros in the American League Divisional Series, which begins on Friday. We've got a real treat for you today to get you ready for Rays Playoff baseball, Andy Freed, the Rays radio play-by-play voice with Dave Wills, will join us as we're talking playoff baseball in this edition of Sports Day Tampa Bay. I'm Rick Stroud of the Tampa Bay Times, along with producer Steve Versnick. Hey, folks, just a programming note, the Tampa Bay Lightning also opened their season Thursday against the Florida Panthers at Amelie Arena, and we're going to have Dave Mishkin, the voice of the Tampa Bay Lightning, on the podcast to get you ready for that game and the 2019-2020 season. Okay, Andy Freed joins us now uh, from the Bay Area out there in San Francisco, soon to be Oakland, of course, for the Rays' playoff game against the A's. And Andy, before we get to the playoff matchup and, and this terrific game, I wanted to ask you, you know, this has just been a, a tremendous season. Of course, 2013, the last time the Rays were in the postseason. Was there a game? Was there a moment? Was there during, you know, their, their series of sort of walk-off wins? And, of course, they had to win almost every game down the stretch in that crazy race that you felt, you know what, maybe this is, maybe this is their year. Maybe this is the turning point to this season. Well, the, the best way for me to answer that is to say, and, and somewhat uh, humbly and embarrassingly admit that I think there were two times this season that I know I walked out of the booth saying this team is not going anywhere. Uh, I mean, in my mind, I kind of jumped off the bandwagon, which I probably shouldn't admit this, but but twice in my own mind, you're right. You know, within within minutes after a really tough loss, one was the game in Toronto, where uh, oh, yeah. where they had the giant lead and then blew it. I walked out of the booth that day, going, the, 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 "You don't lose a game like this if you're going anywhere." And lo and behold, they pulled me back in, and the next day they were down by that same margin and came back and showed tremendous heart. The other time was when they lost, uh, it ended up being one of just two losses over about a 14 or 15 game span at home, one to the Orioles. They split that doubleheader, and for some reason the one really bugged me, and I thought, you know what, if you can't, ha- if you can't run over the Baltimore Orioles when you need to, you're not going anywhere. And lo and behold, they ended up going 15-2 and two at home, <laughs> so they pulled me <laughs> back in there. So I- and then they, they, uh, if there had to be a third one, I think it was probably that, that last game in Los Angeles against the Dodgers. Yes. Where they where they came back late, and at that point, I started to think, you know what? It, it, almost in reverse, uh, the, uh, a team that does win this kind of game is going somewhere. And then they came back and all those walk offs at home. So, but you know, that's the course of of a 162 game season. And I think the the one thing that does a disservice nationwide, uh, for if I could speak to people of of your uh, uh, brethren, the writers, Rick, and and I think broadcasters fall into this too, is covering baseball as if it's football as if every game is a referendum on your season. You know, there's, there's not 16 of these, there's 162. And, and the, the, sometimes I look at the coverage, whether it be from broadcasters or writers, 
uh, are all around the country. And, and look, part of it is you're creating a storyline, and I understand all that. But uh, you can, you, the best teams in the game go through bad streaks and lose ugly games, and the worst teams in the league have tremendous victories and get on hot streaks. It's just the nature of it with so many games. And, and I, that tests me all the time that you know, within that half-hour span, I'm either usually pretty happy or pretty bummed out after most games. And it's, it's hard to walk that line, but I think it's important because the baseball season will eat you up and spit you out if you don't find some sort of balance in there. Yeah, you're absolutely right. And, and yet it was really incredible, and, and I think I heard you say this during one of the broadcasts I was listening to um, when you were talking to Dave Wills, but you know this, this race that between the Cleveland Indians and, and the A's and the Rays, um, whichever teams made that, maybe even the one that didn't in, in terms of Cleveland, you couldn't say it wasn't because they, they didn't have great years. All of those teams played under tremendous pressure and were watching scoreboards for a long time so these two teams that are here, boy, they were tested every night for the last month of the season. You better believe it. I, I think you could make a pretty good case, even though he won't win it, I think you can make a pretty good case for Terry Francona, manager of the year again. I mean, I think he did a fantastic job for a team that did not have Corey Kluber through most of the year, that ended up trading away Trevor Bauer, that were besieged with injuries almost to the degree, to the degree that the Rays were, and he held them in there, and then it just looked like the classic running out of gas, and they lost five in a row to end the year, but... Uh, you know, the, the A, when we were here, last time we were here, and when were we here, May or something like that, towards the end of May, and I was talking to the A's announcers, and of course they were coming off a year where they had won 97 games, they had a great stretch run, and even the A's announcers were, were guilty of this, that, and, and I would, you know, like I say, I fight this all the time, they said, you know what, we're just not the same this year, it's pretty clear to us that this isn't going to be our year, we might be a competitive club, but we just don't have that same it that we had in other years. Lo and behold, they had this, the identical it of a year ago. They won 97 games uh, once again, and they uh, you know, had a trip about the same stretch run as they had a year ago. Uh, and and you know, then there are other teams, too. I mean, the, the Twins, I think, need to be credited. I think Rocco should get some mm-hmm. manager of your thoughts, too, because that was a team that had a huge lead and actually fell out of first place in August and came back. So every team that's in this thing absolutely deserves it in every way, uh, and that, that's what makes it so great because of the long season. I think you feel by the end of the year that if you're in that postseason, you most certainly deserve it, and you fended off a lot of other really good teams. And, you know, uh, if you take kind of a, I don't know, from 30,000 feet look at this, look, I, I'm, I'm perfectly happy to tell you that two years ago when Evan Longoria was being traded and um, you know, Chris Archer was being traded and, and all the, the moves that they were making. Um, I, I was convinced that they not were tanking, but that they probably were going to take quite a step back I and mean, maybe even lose as many as 100 games. All they've done is win 90 and then follow that up with an even better season. I mean, this isn't a, a, not just a, a, a reload, but it's a, it's a remarkable stretch of consistency for this organization to to. Uh, put a team back in the in the postseason this quickly as it's been remade. Exactly, and with one more uh, underscore to that, doing it in the American League East, uh, which yes. is such a difficult division, and I think lesser, uh, lesser, less bold, whatever the opposite of bold, uh, natured general managers and owners would have absolutely tanked this team. There is plenty of reasons to do that, uh, mm-hmm. but as a credit to Stu Sternberg, he didn't want this team to tank. He wanted them to try to stay competitive. But I think the key moment looking back now is that, you know, they, they were a good team in 17. They were pretty good. They were 80 and 82. 
and they had improved mm-hmm. from what a 68 win team from the year before. There were signs that it was heading in a good direction. The difficult decision was to say that it was still a mediocre team that might have been playing a little bit above its skis. When you look at years like Logan Morrison had and Corey Dickerson had and Chris Archer had, you could look at those guys and say, are those the building blocks? And the ownership and the front office said, no, that's probably not going to be good enough to get it done, so why don't we get something back for some of those players while they have value? That's a very difficult decision to make, and it's extremely unpopular. You know, Steven Sousa Jr. was the MVP of the team that year, and yet they traded him by the next spring training, and then you look at it, though, from what they were looking at, that was an MVP of a team that hit 237. So is that an MVP of a team that's going to win something in, while playing in the American League East? Probably not. It's an extremely unpopular decision to trade Chris Archer. Extremely unpopular decision to trade Corey Dickerson for what they did, and Jake Odorizzi. But, you know, they didn't hit on all these trades, but they certainly did pretty well. And when you look at what they got back from the Pirates and, and several of those other deals, it's, it's worked out awfully good. You think of the Sousa trade, you know, Colin Pochet is a throw-in, and now he, he might face Matt Olson with the season on the line tomorrow. So it's, it, it's very difficult, I think, from the outside uh, you're going to get criticized if you make unpopular moves. But I, I, to me, the, the big mistake, there are two big mistakes front offices can make. One is rushing a young player to the major leagues before they're ready, because I think you can screw them up for their whole careers. And two, uh, if you make deals, depending on if they're going to be popular or not. You know, if you have a plan and then you waver from it, usually that's when things go awry. The Rays had their plan, they stuck to it, and lo and behold, they're you don't hear them getting criticized anymore. But I think, I think it's very hard. You know you're going to get beat up locally and beat up nationally, and no question the Rays were in the, in the, public, the public forum. But by and large, looking back, it sure looks like they made a lot of good decisions. Well, they absolutely did, and they were right. And we can discuss uh, in a minute uh, you know, just what they got and what they continue to get from the Chris Archer deal for sure uh, with Austin Meadows and Tyler Glasnell at minimum. Um, but I wanted to say that, you know, they're, they're playing the Oakland A's, and, and you mentioned the difficulty of, of doing this, but, but doing it in the American League East, of course, where you have teams that are going to outspend you and that are, you know, uh, traditional powerhouses uh, very often in the postseason, the Yankees, the Red Sox, and so on. Um, but really, I mean, the A's and the Rays are, are really distant cousins. I mean, there's, there's no pretense about it, right? I mean, whether it was uh, sort of the origin of, of, of the Sternberg sort of ownership, but there's a lot of, of tenants that they took from the A's and Moneyball, but then they put more spin on it, uh, and Andy, and, and I, think, I think the Rays have even pushed it further. Well, I, I, that goes back to when, uh, when Andrew Friedman and, and Matt and Stu really took over. I remember talking to uh, Andrew at one point in time early in that tenure and said, uh, remember who the hot teams were at the time, like the Indians were a team that was getting a lot of credit, and they were winning by doing some sort of things like this. And I said, are, are you going to do things the way, you know, like the Indians do it? Or are you going to do things the way this team or that team? And he goes, no, we're, we'll probably take some ideas from this team or that team, but we, we really want to do this our own way. Uh, and what he, that was the first time that I thought, well, they are really going to build this up uh, from a baseball operation standpoint and use data. Because I can remember when some weird decisions were being made, even in terms of in-game decisions by Joe Madden, going to him at, at various points in time and saying, you know, why are we doing that? It, it seems so weird. And he'd show us the data, or he'd tell you, break it down for us and say, it wouldn't, if you have all this data and you're investing all this manpower and, and, and woman power and money in it, and you have that decision in front of you, wouldn't you be foolish not to use that data? And I've always stuck with that. And lo and behold... 
you know, there were many teams that poo-pooed it at the time, but it apparently can work. Now you have a very small margin. Uh, and when you talk about being outspent on payroll, you know, that makes it sound like, well, they're just, they're just kind of getting out. out <laughs> no. Done a bit. They're talking about by three times, you know, well, doing that. It, yeah. I, and one thing, too, I think it's a bit of a misnomer about the A's. Their payroll, I believe, is still over 100 mil. You know, it so it they, is. You're right. Mm-hmm. They are, but there's certainly a you know not a large market team, but they, there's a lot of people out here, and there's a lot of uh, there's a lot of money uh, out here also, much more than the Rays or what in the sixty million dollar range, and they're competing against teams that are spending two hundred plus. Uh, so uh, there are many obstacles to face. That it, you end up being much more of a fragile roster, I think, because if if one one piece falls out, the whole thing can fall out. But you know, maybe I'm wrong about that, too, because I, I think the fact that this team withstood injuries that I never in a million years thought they would have been able to withstand. I can so. tell you, and, and I, I can say this because Kevin Cash admitted it to us one year. He told it to us behind the scenes. When we were up in Toronto that weekend and lost that seven-run uh, lead, and Blake Snell gets hurt, and he's on the injured list, and there was no question whether he was going to come back, or Glasnell, or Torinos, or Diaz, or any. We were in his, in, in his office, and he goes, guys, I, I, I'm not so sure that we can... Uh, we can really mm-hmm. survive this. And honestly, he said it in much more colorful language. Uh, <laughs> uh, and he reaffirmed that to us the other day when we were in Toronto. I said, remember what you said the last time we were here? He goes, I do, and I felt it at the time. And lo and behold, there is there is something, too, that, that is not analytical, and it's about heart. I mean, they're, they're, these guys have a heartbeat to them, and sometimes when, when professional athletes, who, let's face it, they are, they are bred to compete. When they're sometimes put into a box, sometimes they can fight their way out of it, and this team absolutely did that this year. Did that this year, and I don't think that shows up on many analytical pages. I think Kevin Cash, you related this story that in spring training, and, and I think a lot of teams will say this to the guys as they're beginning to you know get to their forty man, twenty five man roster that hey guys, stay ready, we're going to need you. Boy, they needed everybody. <laughs> I mean, well, the entire, I mean these guys. I mean, were, uh, to have 39 men on the roster at the same time for about the final month, and they just kept adding and adding and adding was was I've never seen that before. You know, usually if usually a 40 man roster, you might get it up to 32 uh, in mm-hmm. September, but then for a team contending and to get it up to 39 and every I could point to a moment for every single person on that roster that had a role in getting this team to where they are, and that's. That's not unique. When those things happen, that's when you start to think, you know, are you the quote-unquote team of destiny? We'll find out starting Wednesday. Uh, For sure. And every one of those guys can take uh, ownership, which is nice um, to be, uh, you know, where they are today. Um, You know, for all the injuries they had, none bigger than on the the starting pitching. And, you know, clearly, you know, the, the opener situation is sort of born out of necessity. We've talked about that in the past. But I don't think anybody expected them to be down to one starter. Thankfully, that one starter was Charlie Morton. Um, and, you know, what else can you say where they would be? And he get, he's going to rightfully get the ball. I know he's pitched in even bigger games, clearly, in his career. Um, but but what, a, what a, you know, completion of a promise that Charlie Morton gave them. And, and look, if the Rays did spend money, they spent it on him, and he certainly paid off. Well, I mean, it, it, you're right. I mean, to get a rotation whittled down to basically one guy is just, it's ridiculous the way it worked. And to be honest, I remember saying at the beginning of the season that, you know, and maybe part of the reason why the Astros did not sign him back was because he does have such an injured past. 
you know, Charlie's been rebuilt several times from elbows and both hips and, and shoulders and, and almost every possible injury a pitcher could have he's gone through. And yet, here he is in the closing acts of his career, and he's gotten better. Mm-hmm. And, you know, you know it's just, you just never know in this game. And, yeah, I think the Rays were very, very careful on how judicious they utilized his innings this year. Um, as they do with all the pitchers, but in particular, Charlie, because, you know, look, he signed for another year also. They, they'd like to see him do this again next year. Yeah. And Charlie was, was pretty close to just retiring, you know, prior to this year. Mm-hmm. Uh, and the Rays gave him 30 million reasons not to. But the fact that you know, even a year where he passes his own personal strikeout record, his own personal innings record, he made every start. He made, what, 33 starts this year uh, and basically stayed healthy. I think he is to be commended, and the Rays are to be commended on how they used him. Uh, but but bottom line, it comes down to Charlie. Even in hearing how he responded and what his answers were, uh, not just every uh, fifth day when he started, but at the at the press conference prior to the wild card game, you know him mm-hmm. recognizing that that he feels the the importance to do well because he wants baseball to do well uh, overall in the state of Florida and his his town where he lives, you know, in the Tampa Bay area. I mean, this is a pretty deep thinking guy and. Uh, what he's been through, uh, he's not going to be faced at all. And if there is ever a pitcher in all of baseball that deserves the chance to pitch his, game, pitch his team to a, a playoff win, it's Charlie Morton on win. One size fits all seems like a good idea for clothes until you try them on. Same goes for healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers flexible, budget friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. Learn more at uh1.com. Yeah, and I'm not sure that there's another guy that you want on the mound besides Charlie because of, of how he's come through in big situations for them. On the other hand, the A's are going to start uh, Sean Manaya, and they, they had a choice as well to make. Manaya, of course, you know, had, had some uh, shoulder trouble, but since he's come back, he's been lights out. I think he's 4-0, like a 1-2-something ERA, um, a, a left-hander. So how close of a, of a decision do you think that was uh, for the A's? I think it seemed like it was the right decision for them because it's the Rays that they're facing. I mean, I think they're with our, their hottest pitcher. You know, Manai is probably their hottest starter these days. But also, if you're facing the Rays, I think you want as many left-handers, uh, left-handed pitchers yes. in there as you can. You know, we'll we'll see AJ Puck and we'll see Jesus Lazardo and and uh, any other left-hander. I think it only makes sense to try to nullify the best hitter on the team, which is Austin Meadows. Now that can also mm-hmm. you look at Tommy Pham's numbers, and I think he ended up hitting about 340 or so of that lefties this year. Uh, so that's that's good from a race standpoint. Yandy Diaz uh, is a chance to be there also, and he looked good in that one game uh, audition on the final game of the year, and he hits lefties well. So the Rays have plenty of things to counter. Uh, but uh, to me, I think the most fascinating part of what will be in the wild card game is the endless matchup to matchup. You know, what, how does Bob Melvin structure his line? He's basically used the same lineup. But, but how is he going to structure that, and how will he utilize his bullpen, and then how will the Rays counteract? Will they sit Jimon Choi and Brandon Lau against the lefty and be able to bring them in later on in the game uh, if, if the A's have a righty? And then would the A's counter with a lefty against that? I mean, it's going to be a lot. That's going to be a nine-inning chess match uh, on Wednesday from two teams that, that match up very, very well. You, know, you heard Aaron Boone say uh, after the Rays swept them, a Tropicana Field swept the Yankees, uh, he said, you know, the Rays can match up with you almost unlike any other team can. Uh, so I think you'll see a lot of that. I'm curious to see Tyler Glass now in the bullpen yes. for the Rays. I, I would have to think that he's available for that. And if he's coming in mm-hmm. pumping 100 with his curveball after Morton, that could be a great weapon too. It's it's really going to be interesting to play out. And to me, 
like Tom Petty said, the waiting is the hardest part. I mean, these last like four <laughs> days, I just Wednesday can't get here fast enough, and I'm driving myself up, pacing like a caged uh, lion here. I just can't wait to get to the ballpark on Wednesday. I think we're all anxious to see how that lineup is, is going to shape because you're right. You know, you are managing or you are preparing and matching up for something that you don't do a lot in Major League Baseball except in this scenario, which is a one-game, you know, winner go or loser go home type scenario. So from that standpoint, you're trying to win one game. For example, would someone like Johnny Davis be on the roster just because you might want him as a pinch runner to produce one run? I'm curious, and they'll they'll announce that by uh, by uh, 1 p.m. Eastern time, 10 a.m. Western time on uh, Wednesday. But to me, for Johnny Davis, I mean, I I love Johnny's story, and I really liked him. But to me, I would not put him on simply because he made some mistakes on the bases, uh, mm-hmm. a couple in Texas, and then one on that last day of the year in Toronto that really, to me, threw up an alarm bell. You know, when he, yeah. he ran hard past second base and didn't retouch, as quickly as, as a runner can get you that run, they could also pull the plug on an inning if they don't know what the rule is. You know, I'm, I'm not trying to dump on Johnny Davis at all. I, I, I've really enjoyed having him around. But, you know, this is basically a game seven. You know, it's yeah. a one-game yeah. thing, and, and, and everything could turn on one mistake. Uh, so I, I think if it were up to me, I probably would not have him on, but, you know, you never know with this group. Sometimes, the, as Stu says, sometimes they like to yang when you think they're going to ying. Uh, so maybe they will. And, look, it could work out great, too. Uh, but to me, that base-running mistake on, on the Sunday in Toronto scared me, scared me quite a bit in thinking that, you know, these, these, these one-game play-ins, they can end very, very quickly on, on, a, on a weird play. And the Rays, even the regular players, have made their share of some base running uh, mistakes this season for sure, Tommy Pham um, included yes. in that. Um, you know, I, you've, you've been around baseball a long time. Andy, I'm not sure I've seen a guy make a difference that wasn't expected to do a whole lot other than fill in when all the catchers were injured than Travis Darno. Uh, whatever he's got, close to 70 RBIs, I think every one of them probably uh, contributed to maybe even winning a game. Sure feels like it. I think if you look for two of the most impactful deals in all of baseball in uh, 2019, it was the trade for Nick Anderson from the Marlins mm-hmm. at the deadline and the trade for Travis Darno. Frankly, though, nobody wanted him at that point in time also. I mean, you know, the Mets right. had let him go in somewhat unceremonious fashion, and then the Dodgers kind of did the Rays a favor in a sense, uh, and they did Travis Darno a favor. I mean, the Rays lost both their catchers within about a week span. So they were looking for catchers, and they had Anthony Benboom in the system, and they had Nick Schufo in the system, and they went and got Eric Kratz, who didn't last long, but then they, you know, the Dodgers traded Travis Darno, who ended up, in many ways, saving the season. I mean, you, you think of, of so many moments. The at-bat he had against Aroldis Chapman might be the best oh, at-bat of the year in all of Major League Baseball and on that July 15th game in New York mm-hmm. when Travis had the three homers, and he fouled off so many tough pitches against Chapman in the ninth, and and hit his third home run of the game down to their last strike. I mean, that you could say that might have helped save the season in, in so many ways. Mm-hmm. Uh, he, he is remarkably clutch. That's something else that I just don't know if it shows up on an analytic uh, page, if it comes out on a printout or not. Uh, but I know there's something to it. And with the game on the line, there is no one, no one more than I would, even maybe even more than Meadows, although Meadows would be pretty close, uh, up to the yeah. plate more than, than Travis Darnell, because he, he seems to have that, that moment figured out when – that pitcher blinks, and he doesn't. He fouls off sliders really, really well in those situations. And I was a little concerned and have been concerned about him getting worn down 
because uh, he played mm-hmm. so much down the stretch. I like that he's gotten back-to-back days off, so he, hopefully he can be good and, good and fresh. And it's good from, Mania, from the Manaya um, story that Darno will be in there because he hits lefties pretty well, too. If there's one guy that um, we watched grow up and improve more than any other player during the season, and let's face it, he was a pretty good prospect to start with, um, you know, it would have to be Willie Adamas. And, you know, Andy, he brings an energy and a joy to watching uh, baseball and to playing baseball that I think is factors. Well, in terms of, yeah. of Willie, I think there are a number of things that uh, that happened with him along the way that, that have really helped. Uh, I think his his defensive abilities have gotten better. You know, it wasn't that long ago. It was in the first couple of months of this season when there were still questions about Willie making the everyday routine play at shortstop. And I just don't think you can be a good team in baseball, certainly through October, without being excellent at shortstop. There's just too many balls that go to that part of the diamond. Uh, you need to have a guy that's going to make the every the routine plays. He called it the everyday play. And he's gotten to the point where he's making a spectacular play, too. We're seeing him blossom uh, as a young, what, 23, 24-year-old. I think attitude has had a big part of it also because he has such a good attitude. There was a moment somewhat late in the year, I forgot if it was in the Dodger series or somewhere in that stretch, where uh, Kevin Cash pinch hit for him in a spot where I, I, in the booth I went, ooh, that's, that's interesting. I didn't see that coming because mm-hmm. he wanted a matchup. I think he pinched it and made low for him. And the next day I asked, I asked Kevin, you know, how did Willie take that? And he goes, he was shocked at first. I said, the next thing, and he goes, next thing I knew, he had his, uh, you know, the hoodie on, uh, you know, the, the overtop shirt. And he goes, he was out on the field welcoming guys back after they hit a home run, jumping up and down, being the biggest cheerleader on the group. And that was all I needed to know. And if you look, whenever somebody hits a home run that's not Willie, the first guy on the field that uh, yep. seems to be his responsibility to take off the helmet of the, the conquering <laughs> home run hitter back to the dugout, it's Willie Adamas. To me, he's uh, so very valuable. I hope they sign him long term. And uh, I just think he has been such a great presence. And like he said, Jose Altuve told him last year, you've got to be able to hit the fastball in big league baseball. He dedicated himself to that in the offseason. And lo and behold, he's hit 20 bombs this year. Remarkable. And if the Rays get to where they want to be in this ball game, it'll be late in the game. Somebody's got to get the last three outs. I know they, they play the matchups. You know, obviously you've talked about Nick Anderson and how he's been lights out. But Emilio Pagan has gotten those last three outs. He, he goes back to a place where he's you know played, obviously, with the Oakland A's. What do you think his heartbeat will be when he gets in that situation? Oh, well, it'll be pretty it'll – be, it'll be pounding, uh, I'm sure. You know, to think, too, that it, he – felt when he was with the A's last year, he was a big part of things, but I think he felt disappointed that he didn't perform better down the stretch. And I think, I'm not sure, but I think he was on the postseason roster, but he didn't get into the game. I think now, and not in a vengeful way, but in a way that I think he really would like to show the A's uh, from a competitive sense in that ballpark, how well he can do in that big moment. You know, Emilio's been terrific this year for the Rays, and when you when you run down the list of uh, MVP types on this team, you know, I think the right. I think the the writers got it correct with the co MVP of Meadows and uh, and and um, mm-hmm. Tyler Glass now, but and um, Charlie Morton, pardon me. But if you look at Emilio Pagan, if you look at Ryan Yarbrough and Willie Adamas, uh, some of those mm-hmm. guys are really strong honorable mentions. You know, that bullpen was crumbling; they were losing games because of that bullpen in June and July, and then they got better. You know, Emilio went from not making the roster on opening day to being the guy that tends to get the out in the ninth. Now, come the wild card game, I, th- I think there's an interesting aspect to this. The Rays have a lot of guys on that group that have gotten the last out in the game. Now, if Pagan has gotten the most of them, 
But I think if it's Castillo or Anderson mm-hmm. or even Drake, uh, possibly or possibly even Poche, depending on the matchup. I think if Matt Olson comes up in a big spot late and Poche hasn't yep. been used yet, I think you could see Poche uh, try to get that last out. So those are just five guys that I think will be asked to get big outs late in the game, depending on how they get there. And yeah, how about Blake Snell? I mean, could Snell come in and throw 15 pitches and, and get a couple of lefties out late in the game? I think that's possible, too. That, that's what makes the, the one-game playoff so very interesting, but in terms of Pagan, I think uh, he's done what what the the power that the player has when they don't you know when something bad happens. He was left off the opening day roster. He had to go back to the minors. The power the player has is to when you get that opportunity, make them make the organization have to eat that decision. And that's you know Kevin Cash said that at the press conference, and I think he was proud to say it. I think Emilio should be proud of what he did. He didn't sulk, you know. And and look, there were times down the stretch too where Emilio didn't get the ball in the ninth inning. Uh, partially because of they're afraid of overusage, but partially because of a situation that they brought him into the eighth a couple of times. So, you know, I asked Kevin Cash one day, he said, did you have to go to Emilio yesterday and see this is why we didn't use you in the ninth? He goes, many players I would have to. I know with Emilio I don't have to because he's all about winning. And that, that, that to me, you know, that raised men up be loaded with superstars, but when you have a bunch of guys that are all about winning, that's uh, usually how teams do win. And that's how they got there. Okay, give me your uh, your keys to the game. Obviously, they got Charlie on the mound. That's a nice place to start. But um, what do you think will be critical for for the Rays to win this one? Get, getting a lead. You know, I, yes. I the crowd is going to be electric uh, at the Coliseum. Mm-hmm. It's it's you know that place. Honestly, and I don't know if it's the construction of it, the concrete bowl. You know that when mm-hmm. that place is built. Uh, but those old ballparks rock. I mean, they they make a lot of loud loud sounds. And we're, when we're there, that's you know, there's usually fifteen to eighteen thousand people at the most. And it's very, very loud. I can only imagine what it's going to sound like with 50 or 55,000 there in the ballpark. It is going to be electric. I will say this. Um, in 2013, the Rays uh, went to Cleveland uh, for the uh, wild card game. And the Indians have won 10 in a row. And they were that ballpark was as electric as any ballpark I have ever been in for any event. It was absolutely shaking to its core. Uh, and... Danny Salazar was the starting pitcher for the uh, Indians. If you go back and watch the game, he was throwing 99 and 100 and struck out the side in the first inning, and that building felt like it was going to fall. It was rocking so hard. <laughs> and it stayed that way until uh, Delman Young popped the balloon. You know, mm-hmm. He had a leadoff home run in the third inning, and the crowd, it went very, very quiet. And then the rest of the game, you know, they had a couple of uprisings. Uh, Alex Cobb pitched well, got a double play, and you know, if you pitch well and get big outs and don't allow them to get momentum, you can quiet a crowd in baseball faster than any other sport, I think. So if Martin pitches well at the beginning, keeps the crowd quiet, and the, and the Rays get a lead, I think that's how you'll do it. If the A's get a lead and Manaya's pitching well, I think the Rays could be in trouble. But, yeah, I, these are really two very equal teams. I, I've gone back and forth so many times in my mind on how it's going to play out. Bottom line is we have no idea how it's going to play out. But if Charlie pitches as well as he did in his last two games against Boston and New York, the Rays will be in good shape, and you just hope that they can, uh, they can get a lead there. Certainly, certainly you would take that. And, and uh, finally, Andy, for you, I mean, you've been around baseball an awful long time. It has been a number of years since the Rays have been in this position in the postseason. October, postseason baseball, you're the only game on TV at that moment. Is there anything better than that? For me, no. There really, there's, there's nothing better than that. It's, it's, it is so darn exciting. And, you know, it, it was one thing when we got there for the first time in 08, 
Uh, and then the team came up short in 10, and you know they, they were kind of a Cinderella team in 11. And in 13, it was a bummer because I think they could have beaten the Red Sox, but they didn't, but they had some great moments. Uh, it, to me, this year, it's almost been like the first time all over again. You know, when you don't go through it for five years, you really miss it. Yeah. And, you know, especially like last year when they won 90 games, and just the idea that, that Dave and I and Neil and, and uh, we're going to have B.A. in the booth for an inning tomorrow also – to be there during this moment, I have an immense sense of appreciation that we get to be a tiny part of this and hopefully relay some good news back home. And, you know, my wife told me a story back in 08 that, that I've always remembered. Uh, when the Rays were beating the Red Sox in 08 in the League Championship Series at Fenway Park in games three and four, you know, we're all excited, but it was quiet amongst the Fenway fans. She said that she and my daughter at the time was, uh, what, five years old. They were in a restaurant. I forgot which restaurant they were in. Uh, down in our area around Bradenton, and she said that the whole restaurant was yelling and screaming and cheering and going nuts. I love that idea that what we're doing out here on the West Coast is being watched by all the race fans back east, and people will be packed in restaurants and they'll be at home watching, and just the fact that everybody is cohesively together pulling for one thing. If something good happens for the race, I love that idea that that'll be happening 3,000 miles away, and I hope it does. Well, Rays fans will certainly be watching and they'll be listening and uh, they'll they'll hope that they'll have more baseball to play maybe in Houston after this game against the A's. Andy Freed, thanks so much. We appreciate your time and uh, enjoy the game. Rick, anytime. Always happy to talk to you. Thank you. And thanks to that fellow Steve Versnick, too. <laughs> He's okay. <laughs> I had to get his name in there at some point. Our thanks to Andy, and of course, that game is on ESPN. First pitch is 8.09 p.m., but you can turn the TV down and make sure you listen to the great call by Andy Freed and Dave Wills on the Rays Radio Network. A reminder, we'll have the great Dave Michigan, the voice of the Tampa Bay Lightning, on the podcast Thursday to get you ready for the game against the Florida Panthers and the start of the 2019-2020 season. And with so much going on, we're going to have Matt Baker of the Tampa Bay Times to talk about the college football weekend. Lots of great games on tap, including Florida is hosting Auburn and College Game Day. They're coming to your city in Gainesville. And, of course, we've got a football Friday as the Bucks prepare to go to New Orleans and meet the Saints, the battle of first place in the NFC South, on the line in that one. Thanks for joining us. We appreciate it. We're here every Monday through Friday. We've got a big week of uh, – what we got boy everything's going on Rays baseball playoff baseball the tampa bay lightning the buccaneers it's all right here on sports day tampa bay for steve versnick i'm rick stroud the tampa bay times have a great day everybody imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt now imagine them getting even softer over time that's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.